What a pleasure it is to be here this morning to see all of you. We've got some good friends that drove up from Onalaska this morning. I won't, I won't embarrass you. Mo and Sherry came up. Make sure you say hi to them. Um, but man, what a beautiful morning it is. What a pleasure to be here. Uh, what an honor it is for us to be able to worship together. Along with folks on Facebook, we know that we have people on Facebook watching this morning. We're so glad that you are with us virtually, and uh, we want to kick things off by praying to our Lord. We have come to worship, and so it's only right that we would uh, start things off by honoring God and praying. So will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, the one whose name that we proclaim this morning, King of kings, Lord of lords, Savior of saviors, the one that we look to for our salvation, the one who came into this place, who was called Emmanuel, God with us. It is because of you that we know who God is and who we are to God that you have shown us the clearest picture in your life, death, and resurrection of how God feels about us. And we are so grateful for that. Because we know that that was a sacrifice. As we read in the scriptures, how you gave up everything and came to this place so that we might know what a sacrifice. But oh, how much you love us. We want to worship you this morning, Lord. We want to give you the worship that you deserve, but there are things that we bring into this house of worship that stand in the way because we have messed up this week. There are places in which we have withheld grace from others when you have poured grace out upon us. Ways in which that we have been selfish, that we have turned a blind eye to suffering and injustice. When at the same time, we look to you for salvation and we expect to be lifted out of the pit that we sometimes find ourselves in. Lord, forgive us. How can we be so bold in asking for these things from you if we're not willing to give them to others? Lord, there are also ways and places in which we have unintentionally sinned, maybe intentionally. We have left things undone, and we have done other things that have caused great harm. We ask that you cleanse us of all unrighteousness this morning, that there would be no hindrance that stands, nothing that would keep us from, from seeing you this morning, from worshiping you, from hearing from you, from being changed in heart and mind, so that as we leave this place, we are refueled for the mission that you have called us to. Take those things as far as the east is from the west from us. We thank you because we know that that is one of the things that you promised. That if we confess our sins, you are ready to forgive. And so we thank you for that and we claim that this morning. Lord, we also come this morning with things heavy on our hearts. I know that just in this group and, and the folks on Facebook, there are... Uh, people and situations that we carry because we care about them so much. We carry uh, with us into this place. And, and we don't 
want to be free of our love for them, but we do want to be free from the worry and the anxiety that accompanies that. And so we want to call out names to you. We want to call out situations to you this morning. We know that you hear each and every one and that you know the exact thing that needs to happen in these lives. Uh, and so we want to say the names and we want to entrust them to you. Lord, hear our prayer. Lord, in your mercy, 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 hear our prayer. The Robinson family. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. 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 Lord, I know that there are probably, for, for each name that we've heard, there are probably unspoken. And we haven't laid out what we wish to be accomplished in each of these lives because we know that you know that you know the intimate details of each and every person, each and every situation, and that you are not only present but working toward the good for all those who love you. And so we claim that this morning, and we proceed with our worship time in faith, believing that to be true. We care about these people deeply. and We thank you that uh, you care about them even more than we do. So, Lord, may you be... Worship today, may you be glorified. May you receive all the honor and the glory that is due you. And we pray this in your most holy name, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. Point I would ask you to offer the right hand of Christian fellowship to your neighbor. But we're going to do something we don't normally do in this service. I'm going to ask you to stand. We are going to do an affirmation of faith that has to do with what I'm going to preach on today. So stand and look at the screen, and let's confess our faith together. We are not alone. We live in God's world. We believe in God, who has created and is creating, who has come in Jesus, the Word made flesh, to reconcile and make new, who works in us and others by the Spirit, we trust in God. We are called to be the church, to celebrate God's presence, 
to live with respect in creation, to love and serve others, to seek justice and resist evil, to proclaim Jesus crucified and risen, our judge and our hope, in life, in death, in life beyond death, God is with us. We are not alone. Thanks be to God. Amen and amen. And with that, Good morning, good morning. You look sleepy today, Judah. Are you a little tired still? Tough week? Ah, soccer games. Hey, Zeb, how's it going? Jay, you're a little taller this week. <laughs> yes, yes. Okay, so pop quiz. Does Jesus love us sometimes or all the time? All the time. Y'all knew that answer. Um, does Jesus love us just in certain places or in all places? All right. See, y'all knew exactly all the answers. Okay, so here's my question. Have you, I know y'all would never, ever get into an argument with your sibling before, but theoretically, how many of y'all have ever been in an argument with a sibling or someone else? Okay, and even if you didn't start it, did you ever get in trouble all together as a group because your parents said, you know, no dessert for anybody because even though you didn't start the fight and it wasn't your fault, right? Yeah, I've been there. Okay, what about, have you ever been in a class where the teacher said, you know, okay, if anyone starts talking again, then nobody gets to go to recess after this. And everybody gets, everybody has to take the same punishment or miss out on the same thing because that one kid messed it up for everybody and, and was talking. And even though it wasn't your fault, you still had to accept the consequences. Yeah, sometimes life's not fair, right? Sometimes life is hard and things happen and we're put into a circumstance that we didn't choose to be in, right? We didn't mean to get there. We didn't mean to be in trouble. We didn't mean to be um, in the class that was in trouble or the group that was in trouble, whatever the case may be. But when we're in trouble, or when we're in a place that even when it's not fair, or when times get really, really hard, does Jesus still love us? Is he still with us? Yeah, because Jesus loves us sometimes or all the time? All the time. So is Jesus with us sometimes or all the time? All the time. So, <laughs> so if Jesus is with us all the time, does that mean Jesus is with us when life's not fair? Yeah? Jesus is. Jesus is everything. Jesus is everything. That's absolutely true. All right, guys. Well, today we're going to be learning about Joseph. And Joseph got put into some circumstances that may have not been entirely his fault, but he was in some unfair places in the world. But Jesus was still with him, right? God was still with him. Yeah. Joseph got, Joseph got, I think he got, He, I think he got in his head a sharp crown. That was a different story, but yes, that's a, that was a good thing. That was an unfair situation that Jesus was in, right? Jesus went to the cross even though he didn't have to, right? It wasn't Jesus' fault that he went to the cross, but Jesus did it because he loved us, right? Absolutely. He did it because... So we can be people. Okay. 
so people could be real, so people could be free, right? Absolutely. Well, will you guys pray to Jesus with me this morning? Okay, let's bow our head, close our eyes, put our hands together. Dear Jesus, thank you for loving us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for being with us no matter what. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, guys, you can either sit with your parents or you can head with me to, sun to Children's Church. With me today. So we are working our way through uh, the narrative lectionary, looking at the story of God's people from beginning to end, but we can't read the whole Bible because that would take a long time. So we are reading chunks of it. Today we are reading Genesis chapter 39, the whole chapter, verses 1 through 23. Here now, the next chapter in this ancient story. Now Joseph was taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. He was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him. He made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer of his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and with him there he had no concern for anything but the food he ate. Now Joseph was handsome and good-looking. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Look, with me here my master has no concern about anything in the house. He has put everything that he has in my hand. He is not greater in this house than I am. Nor has he kept back anything from me except yourself, because you are his wife. How then could I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And although she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not consent to lie beside her or to be with her. One day, however, when he went into the house to do his work, and while no one else was in the house, she caught hold of his garment, saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. When she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled outside, she called out to the members of her household and said to them, See, my husband has brought among us a Hebrew to insult us. He came in to me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And when he heard me raise my voice and cry out, he left his garment beside me and fled outside. Then she kept his garment by her, by her until his master came home. And then she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came in to me and has insulted me. But as soon as I raised my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled outside. When his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, saying, This is the way your servant treated me, he became enraged. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison the place where the king's prisoners were confined. He remained there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love. He gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. The chief jailer committed to Joseph's care all the prisoners who were in the prison, 
and whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The chief jailer paid no heed to anything that was in Joseph's care, because the Lord was with him, and whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. A word from God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Word be proclaimed through me, or perhaps in spite of me this morning. Amen. So here's the question that I'm going to try to maybe answer today. I don't know if I'll answer it for you, but at least we're going to talk about it. The question is this. How do you know when God is with you? How do you know when God is with you? What does that look like? Would you recognize it if God was with you? What does it even mean to have God with us? Does it mean that uh, good things surround the presence of the Lord? Wherever God is, good things happen. If, for instance, your family were to betray you, uh, fake your death, sell you into slavery, and tell your dad that you were eaten by a wild beast. If that happened to you this morning, would the first thing that you would say be, God is with me? Probably not. Probably not. If you were wrongly accused of assaulting someone and thrown in jail and left there to rot, would the first sentence out of your mouth be, God is surely with me. Probably not. Some of you are laughing because it sounds a little ridiculous, doesn't it? I mean, bad things usually we do not equate with the presence of the Lord. And yet these things happen to Joseph. Joseph is Abraham's great-grandson. And we read how misfortune after misfortune happens to him. Suffering after suffering. Bad thing after bad thing. And the writer of Genesis has the gall to tell us that God was with Joseph. Not once, not twice, but probably, I think, four times in the passage. We are told God was with Joseph. Abraham, we talked about Abraham last week. You remember him, right? God uh, had these heavenly swear words that came down upon Abram, and he changed his name to Abraham. And he promised him things like, I will bless you. I will make you into a great nation. I will give land to your descendants. I will make your name famous. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And the kicker, I will bless all the families of the earth through you. This was the promise that was given to Abraham, not because he was somebody special, not because uh, he had all the right things, just because that's who God is. God chooses. God says, done. And so Abraham carried on with his life. He had two sons, Ishmael and Isaac. And God approached the younger son, Isaac, and said, Hey, look, you don't know me, but I made a promise to your dad, and I'm going to fulfill that promise. I'm going to keep that promise through your descendants. And so Isaac said, Okay, sounds good. And he had two sons, Esau and Jacob. And God goes to the younger son, Jacob, and says, Hey, look, you don't know me, but I made a promise to your grandpa and to your dad, and I'm going to keep that promise, and I'm going to fulfill it through your family. And Jacob said, Okay, sounds good, but I want a, an extra special blessing from you. And so he wrestled. Do you remember the story where Jacob was wrestling at night with an angel or something, and he, he would not let go, and as the sun was coming up, he said, I want a blessing. And so he was given a new name. That new name was Israel. Israel, which means one who has wrestled with God 
and prevailed. And so Jacob now has a new name. And Jacob had 12 sons. Here are the 12 sons. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, Asher, Joseph, and Benjamin. Now, if God were going to keep his track record here, you'd think he would go to the youngest son and say, hey, you don't know me, but I made a promise to your great-grandpa and to your grandpa and to your dad. But God didn't do that. He didn't do that. And that's because all 12 of these sons would play a part in bringing this blessing, this flood of blessing that God said was going to happen through Abraham. All 12 sons would play a part in this unfolding of this plan of blessing. In fact, their families go on to become what we call the 12 tribes of Israel. Now you know the rest of the story. The 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 sons. But Joseph, he was almost last. He was second to last born. Benjamin was the youngest. Uh, and Joseph was, for whatever reason, beloved uh, by his father. His dad, Jacob, now Israel, just really loved Joseph. And so he gave him a fancy coat, and they ended up making a Broadway musical out of it called Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat with Donny Osmond. You remember that? Okay, that's from this story. Joseph got this new coat, and he walked around with this new coat, and he said, hey, look at my new coat. And his brother said, yeah, we don't like you very much. And so, you know, brothers get in fights, but this was, this was pretty uh, down and dirty. They decided to throw him into a pit, and then... They decided, let's go ahead and make some money off of him. We're going to sell him as a slave. They took his coat. They tore it. They dipped it in some blood. They took that home to Jacob, now Israel, and said, Dad, unfortunately, some wild beast ate your son, and now the 12 are down to 11. And so at first glance, you think, okay, uh, I guess one of the 12 really is gone, and the blessing is going to have to unfold through 11 sons. But this is not the end of Joseph's story. He is, things are unfolding for him. And the writer of Genesis keeps saying, Joseph is not out of the running yet. The blessing can still come through Joseph. Joseph has not been abandoned by God. And so I kept reading this story this week, preparing for this sermon, and I kept thinking to myself, okay, now if God is really with Joseph, how come all this bad stuff keeps happening to him? How do you explain that? How are your brothers able to sell you into slavery in a foreign land? How can you do the right thing when it comes to advances from a lady who is not your wife? And you do the right thing and you still get falsely accused and thrown into jail. If God is with somebody, surely goodness surrounds them, right? I mean, that's how we typically think about these things. We all shook our heads when we said, no, the first sentence out of my mouth would not be, God is with me. I think it's natural for us to look at our circumstances and to, to, to determine from them whether God is for us or whether God is against us whether God is blessing us or perhaps cursing us, whether God is even around at all. We look at our circumstances and we make a decision. Where is God in this moment based on that? My friend Wayne Jacobson, he's an author. He says that that's called daisy petal Christianity. 
What he means by that, he's talking about that old game that you used to play when you had somebody you liked in school and you'd pick a daisy. You remember this game? And you'd take a leaf off, a little petal off, and you'd say, she loves me. And you take the next one, she loves me not. Then you take the next one, she loves me. Hopefully when you get around the daisy, you end on she loves me or he loves me. Uh, if not, you pick another daisy and start over, right? Because it's not the answer that you want. But Wayne says, this is how we live our lives as Christians. You pick an event, any event in your life. You get into college and you get a full ride scholarship to pay for it. God loves me. Pull off that pedal, right? Then you get into a car accident and you're paralyzed for the rest of your life. You pull the pedal off. God does not love me. You, you meet the love of your life. And you make plans to settle down and have lots of babies. Everything is grand. God loves me. You lose your job. Your wife leaves you. You pull off that pedal. God must not love me. This is how we live our lives. Daisy pedal faith. Is that a good way to determine if God is with you or against you? Is this a good method? It's probably not good for picking uh, boyfriends and girlfriends in elementary school, it's probably not good theology, too. I mean, just think about this. You, you can close your eyes right now, and you can think of any number of really nasty, horrible people that are very successful in life and doing really well. And you could probably also think of people who are really, really good people that just seems like all they do is suffer. They just have suffering after suffering in their life. So already we can see, just we know people, that it's just not working out. This idea of good things and bad things, God is with us, God is against us, it's not working out. Circumstances, can they really tell us how God feels about us? Well, Joseph's new master, Potiphar, seems to think so. Never mind that he's just acquired a slave. He looks at, he, he looks at Joseph as Joseph is working, he goes, Man, that guy's very successful. Anything that he does seems to work out for him. And he goes, hmm, God must be with him. Circumstances dictate, not these circumstances, but these circumstances dictate God must be with this guy. And so he puts him in charge of everything. It says, it says in the text that uh, the only thing that Potiphar worried about is what he was going to eat. Joseph took care of the rest. And then, of course, when Joseph is thrown in jail the jailer begins to look at his new inmate. And he observes how whatever Joseph puts his hand to seems to work out. And he goes, hmm, God must be with this guy. Never mind how he got in here. What I see right now, circumstantially, God must be with him. And he put him in charge of everything. But if God was really with Joseph, how did he end up in these places to begin with? Answer that for me. Uh, we talked about this on Thursday night. You know, we have tap night at Pint and Barrel, Theology on Tap, which all of you should go to so that you can contribute to the discussion because we have really good discussions. But on Thursday night, we were discussing this text. And we were trying to answer this question. If God is with us, how, how does this stuff happen to Joseph? Well, one suggestion or, or one thought that popped up was, well, maybe God is orchestrating this whole thing uh, because as the story plays out, Joseph ends up in the exact place that he kind of needs to be, and he's the person of character that he needs to be. So maybe God's kind of orchestrating this stuff so that Joseph 
his character is built up and he turns into the person that God needs him to be. So this is all part of the plan that's unfolding. And I got to be real honest with you, I don't like that. It might be right, I don't know, but I don't like the thought of it. I don't like the idea that God would cause or even permit injustice and suffering and pain because there's a greater purpose in mind. And so God, like this puppet master, is pulling the strings and, and you know, hey, this is for your own good that I'm ha- having this happen. The end justifies the means. I don't know, for me, it might be kind of hard to wrap your head around this. I have a hard time with this. But I want to suggest to you that neither Joseph's suffering nor his success in these places was an actual indicator of God's loving presence and divine favor. That the things that Joseph went through in and of themselves, good or bad, was not an indicator of God's presence. That this statement that we make, God was with Joseph, or God is with Jimmy, or God is with you. That's something that cannot be perceived circumstantially with the senses. You can't look at your surroundings and know if that's true or not. So then how do we know? How do we know if God is with us? Well, my answer would be, you can't know that. You cannot know that for sure. But see, this is what it means to be a people of faith. We turn to Psalm 139 where David says, Where can I go from your presence, O Lord? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I go down to hell, you're there. If I go here, you're there. There is no place, the deepest parts of the ocean, God, you are there. See, now David's writing this with some kernel of faith. Does he know this to be true? No. But he believes this to be true. And in faith, we look at Psalm 139 and we say, yeah, I think that's true. That God is everywhere. When Paul says in Romans 8, don't you know that God is for you? That God is always with you and working on your behalf? We take that in faith. I think Paul's right. I think Paul was on to something there. When Jesus, in Matthew 28, gathers his disciples before he ascends into heaven and says to them, I will be with you always, even until the end of the age. Where's Jesus? I don't see Jesus. I take that in faith. We take it by faith, the statement, God is with us, Emmanuel. We can't perceive it circumstantially. We can't look around and go, this means God is with me. This means God must be against me. We take it to be true because Jesus says it. Because Paul, because David believed it. Because Joseph believed it. And then we try to live out our lives with this newfound faith, this, this kernel of truth that we hold in our minds and in our hearts. If this is really true, then I'm going to live my life as though this were true no matter what's going on. God is with me. And if we can learn how to live in light of this nugget of faith truth, then perhaps we'd be less tempted to get angry 
when misfortune comes along. Angry at God, angry at other people, angry at ourselves. Perhaps if we can live this way, we'd be less tempted to fall into sin, like Joseph surely could have. I mean, imagine Joseph's situation. You would think he would be so angry at his brothers, so angry at Potiphar. His wife comes along, yeah, I deserve this. You better believe I'm going to do whatever I want. I'm all alone in this. God has abandoned me. My brothers have abandoned me. I'm left here. But Joseph didn't. If we can learn to live our lives this way, we're less likely to fall into despair when those dark times come and the situation then goes from dark to even darker, from bad to worse. See, I think Joseph knew something here. And see, in Joseph's case and in ours, I believe... God takes the raw materials of our circumstances and brings good things out of it. That all the stupid choices that we make, that other people make around us, all the messes that we get in, God stands back, looks at that mess, and says, yeah, I can use that. I can use that. I was thinking about how MacGyver would save the day with a broken ballpoint pen and some used tape and a paper clip, right? Didn't matter. He would, what, what do I have to work with? Great, I can do something with that. This is God looking at the mess that we get ourselves into and saying, I can do something with that. I am with you. I am with you. See, I believe God neither causes nor turns a blind eye to suffering, to injustice, to sin. I don't think God causes this in order to bring about some kind of glorious end. I'm sorry, but you've got to go through this to get to this. I don't think God does that. But I do think that God can and does use it all for our good. We're going to sing a song in a little bit called Beautiful Things. God makes beautiful things out of the dust. God makes humans out of dirt. Scriptures say that God gives beauty for ashes takes the raw stuff, the dirty stuff of life, and makes beautiful things from it. And see, then when you begin to see your life in light of a loving God who is always with you in all places, in all times, in all circumstances, then the statement, God controls all things, shifts just a little bit and becomes, in all things, God is in control. The statement, God makes all things happen, shifts just a little bit and becomes, God makes a way in all things. The statement, God presents all the circumstances in life, shifts just a little bit and becomes, in all the circumstances of life, God is present. You see the difference there? We're just taking it and we're flipping it. Subtle shift, but one that has the power to change everything. And Joseph knew the secret. It's the way that he was able to maintain some kind of level of integrity and joy and peace in his life, even in these rotten circumstances that he found himself, that God did not condone. And yet Joseph says, God is with me in this place. See, I think that statement, God with us, Emmanuel, 
the name of Jesus, really, Emmanuel, God with us. I think it means exactly Not that God's presence ensures a rosy life, and not the other side of that, that, that God orchestrates the bad stuff to make way for the good, but that in all the circumstances of life, the good, the bad, the ugly, God never, ever, ever leaves our side. God is with us all the time. And there is never a time that God is unaware of what is going on. Those moments that you feel the most alone and most abandoned, God knows your situation better than you do. God is with us. Hidden in plain sight. And see, the promise of Abram the blessing that is to unfold, it will not be thwarted. It doesn't matter what stupid mistakes we make. It doesn't matter what things we do to try to derail it or mess it up. God always looks at the mess and says, I can work with that. The question is, do we have eyes to see? Let's pray. Lord, do we have eyes to see? Can we dare to believe that you are with us, especially when things are unfair, when things are going wrong? Help us, because we want to believe that. It's the only thing that's going to get us through sometimes. We thank you for the story of Joseph. We believe that what happened to him was unfair, that it was uh, proved by you. And yet you were with him. And so we cling to those four times in that story that we read, God was with Joseph. We cling to that. So that the next time we look around and say we are left alone, we have been uh, done wrong, that we can remember this phrase, God is with me. God is with me. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. Tracy, will you come up here? Jack, you can come up too. Come on. You, you are support, so come on. So we have a program in the United Methodist Church called Certified Lay Ministry. This is an opportunity for lay folks to take some courses, to turn in some paperwork, to uh, be assessed by their... Uh, peers and by ordained clergy uh, and to be certified uh, for ministry purposes. And so Tracy uh, began this process really before COVID. COVID kind of, I think, probably messed with it a little bit, right? But yesterday she completed the course and she was certified as a lay minister. And so we just want to give her a round of applause. This is for you. We are so excited and happy, and um, we want to pray over you, if that would be okay. Yeah. So I'm going to ask you all to, we've got a prayer in here that is specifically for certified ministers, and if I can find it, we're going to pray this, but you can just reach a hand out toward her if you want. And Jack, you were, you were part of this too, because you've supported her through this process, so we're thankful. God of grace and power. We ask that you pour out your spirit on Tracy as she ministers among us. Guide and strengthen her for her ministry in all that lies ahead. That together we may be one in ministry to all the world through the one 
in whom we are all one, your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen and amen. Good job. Thank you. Proud of you. Proud of you. Will you stand and receive this blessing? By church family, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. May you know that you are perfectly loved, you are completely forgiven, and you are uniquely empowered. And now you're called to go out into the world and live as God's faithful children. As you do, no doubt you're going to make some mistakes. But I need you to know when you make those mistakes, there's nothing you can do that would make God love you any less because God's love for you is not based on your performance. It's based in amazing grace. And by grace, he looks at us all and says, wow, y'all are nothing but the best of the best of the best. Can you imagine what tomorrow would look like if you left here believing that today? I think it would be a brand new start. Perhaps God would make something beautiful out of the dust. So in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, please take that good word and go from this place in peace.